So during your time in back in Boston, you both got some higher education and you both received your degrees while there. Mm -hmm. Did you both receive master's degrees? Are you now doctors? What do we call you? We're masters with one of us, the hopes of being a doctor one day. You could refer to me to doctor if you'd like. I'd be okay with that. I'll pass. (laughs) Wise wise choice. I'd rather call you Sir Garrett. (laughs) I could get behind that. Dr. Garrett, Dr. Fine, Dr. Garrett. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I got my degrees in Old Testament and in biblical languages. That's right. He got two master's degrees. In. I got a master's degree in social ethics. And, and in raising a one-year-old. Well, yes, that too. Mm-hmm. Um, social ethics, a lot of people are like, what is that? Especially, like, why would you go to seminary? Um, my heart, what I studied before being in ministry was political science, the intention of being in law school. Um, and then I got saved, and that changed a little bit. But my heart to see justice, my heart to see the least of these reached, especially with the gospel, just continued to grow the more I was in mission. So a degree in social ethics, a lot of my research was spent on how does the church love the community it serves? Because that's the point of the local church is to serve its community for Mm -hmm. me. And so, yeah, that's what I did. That is what a degree in social ethics is, is how does the church respond to the broken world around them and serve and love it well? And then, yes, we had children. So I also did that. And then we also both worked because one of the ways we felt God provided for us in seminary was to give us jobs. So we were both full-time students. Uh, Garrett worked in the library at seminary, and I nannied for the greatest kids in the world who were five and three when I started working for them. So that's what we did for our three years in Boston. So you've been to, you've been to several countries. Are you fluent in all the languages there? Yet. <laughs> You're working on your uh, Ukrainian? Uh, Paruski, Russian. Ah, I can. In case you didn't know, yet means no. <laughs> yeah, we kind of picked up on that. I- from now on, we'll refer to you as Ivan Drago. <laughs> and you learned what in college when you went to study in Boston? You you studied what languages? Oh, at Gordon-Conwell? Yeah. So I studied Greek, Hebrew, Biblical Greek, Biblical Hebrew, uh, and Aramaic. And I studied Biblical Hebrew. And you're, so you're learning. I learned how to make a lot of ch sounds. Lachain. Yes. Like something's caught in your throat. Yes. <laughs> and we learned to translate the Bible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The main point. This explains the hair loss, Lamar. <laughs> he pulled it all out while trying to raise two kids, be married newly, and study Greek and Hebrew in the Bible. That explains that. <laughs> well, you know, I never made that connection, but yeah, that does. Yeah, I thought it was lost, but you jerked it out. <laughs> <laughs> just pulling clumps out while you're studying, trying to. <laughs> so you. Times. Yeah. So you've got uh, Greek, Hebrew, Russian. Did you learn any uh, Indian language or just basic stuff for Cambodian or? Yeah. So in every language, before you go, part of your outreach prep is to learn. My name is. Hello. Goodbye. Thank you. Please. So 
in just about every country you go to because you use them so often over the course of those two months. Now, how would you mm-hmm. say the orange mailbox in Russian? Mm. Oh, so you I can do that. Say, mm. You would say, Yanis Nayu. Yanis Nayu. That is, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we would have thought that we'd be saying that on the program, and everybody think hey, they're saying, I don't know. And welcome back to Yanis Nayu. Yeah, <laughs> welcome back to I don't know. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Oh, that's a different no. Sorry. I don't yet. <laughs> Shoot, my grandbabies know more Russian than I do. Yeah, they'll be able to speak. I mean, you talk to them in both languages, so when they get older, they'll understand both just like it's no big deal. Well, and here's the amazing thing. Uh, Levi, the other day, somebody was talking to him in Russian, and he responded with, Da, da which with, is yes. Which means yes. But he switched from English to Russian. He never says that to us. So he's able to differentiate between when he's hearing Russian and when he's hearing English, which amazes me. And there are other words that he knows in English, but he only uses the Russian word for. So juice in Russian is soak. He will only ask for soak. He will not ask for juice. He'll say soak, please. Or if you're playing with his cars on the ground, he'll call them machina because that is a singular car, machina. Mama, where's my machina? Like, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. And so it's interesting because he was learning, like he was almost two when we moved here. And so a lot of his language exposure for when you start picking up language for his age has been Russian and Ukrainian. Uh-huh. So it's really cool to see what that will look like for him over the next year. And Nora was two months old when we moved here. So I try and speak only Russian to her. And so right now it's very cute. She's 10 months old. So she'll try and pull a cord or something. And I'll say, Nora, niet. And she looks at me and goes, which just shakes her head now. I'm like, you know exactly what you're doing. She smiles. Smiles and shakes her head now. That's funny. Now, if you want to know what the Russian is for Orange Mailbox, my voice might sound a little weird here. But uh, let me think. You pronounce it like. Would you say like orangevi poktovi yashik? Wow. Have you studied Russian, Lamar? I just did. Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, that works sometimes. I couldn't say that. yashik. So you're currently in Ukraine. What's the focus of your ministry over there, and how long are you going to be in Ukraine? So our current focus is a ministry called Aqueduct, which is for working professionals who their only time to study or be in class is in the evenings. So twice a week on Monday evening and Thursday evening, we have this class where we inductively study the Bible. So right now we're on the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament, and we just finished Numbers and we're on Deuteronomy and After we finish Deuteronomy, which will be this coming week, uh, we take about a month, month and a half break before we start up with our second module, which is historical books. And you're both teaching. Correct. Here it teaches on Mondays. I teach on Thursdays. So your typical schedule is what? Just to give people an idea how busy your life is. Right. So Monday mornings, we start at the YWAM base for intercession from nine to 10. 
10 to 10.30, we clean our YWAM base as a staff together. From 10.30 to 11, we have a time of fellowship with coffee together. At 11, we get together with our Bible teaching team and pray for 30 minutes. And then from 11.30 until 3, I am doing um, personnel. So we have, a it's called a root ministry job that serves the base and the staff. So I am one half of personnel. I contact and work with all new incoming staff. Then on Monday nights, I come home, Garrett studies and then leaves to go into the city to teach. And that's our Monday. Tuesday, we have Russian class in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we're studying, we're home, figuring it out. Wednesday is in the morning, we try and do, Garrett will study, and then in the afternoon, I will study. Thursday morning, we have language. In the afternoon, we study. Thursday night, I'm in the city for teaching. Friday morning, we have language. In the afternoon, we rotate who studies. And then Saturday morning, um, Garrett's at the YWAM base. That afternoon, I'll study. And Sunday, we're either teaching at a church recruiting for aqueduct or we'll go to a church where we have no responsibility. It's just everything's in Russian so we can hear the language. And then that doesn't even count the kids. You got two toddlers running around there. So then we have nap times, Levi's preschool, snacks, play dates, bedtime, wake up time. She's still talking about me. Tell them about the kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Your snack time. (laughs) Our day usually starts at 5 a.m. And I try to go to bed before 10. Garrett can stay up a little later. We have very full days. I don't know how you do it. uh, I get tired hearing your schedule. I I just don't know how you do it. I commend you for that schedule. That's yes. So, and you're going to be doing this. You plan on being there anywhere from two and a half to five years. You went there this summer, correct? That's when you started over there. We moved here August 2019. And um, you guys had some problems with your visas, and you got that all straightened out. You had to go out of, out of the country to get a visa, and then they messed up your names, and you had to go back. And, and yeah. your visas are all good now. We are legally residents of Ukraine. So your end goal is five years, and then what do you – want to accomplish in that five years? What's your five-year goal? What do you want to see done? Well, it's at least five years. We don't actually have an end date planned yet. But we have the next five years planned. Okay. We'll see what the Lord does. But what we think our plans are is this ministry aqueduct that we came here. We came with the vision and the intent to help grow and multiply. Mm-hmm. So before we came, they only ran in the fall and they'd only ever ran New Testament courses. So what we did when we came was ask if we could build Old Testament curriculum and that's what we've done. So we have broken down the Old Testament into six modules that will take two years to go all the way through. The New Testament that's already been done also takes two years. So our hope is at the end of this to run a full aqueduct program, including six Old Testament modules, six New Testament modules, And even this week, we were discussing and talking about what it would look like to start not aqueduct courses, 
but additional education resources like offering biblical languages, offering a church history lecture, um, using our education from seminary to help train pastors and lay leaders in the Church of Ukraine, Eastern Europe, and into Central Asia. So for our listeners, we know this, but for our listeners, this is also the same base where our other, our niece and cousin went, Madison. She yes. served some time over there, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. She and met her husband. Hu- she met her husband over there, and now okay. she's back stateside. So this is the same base she was at. You're at now, right? Correct. So I think uh, what what I'm curious about, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are curious about, with what's going on around the world now, has the coronavirus impacted the Ukraine and? Um, how is God using that that mm-hmm. virus for his purpose? So in Ukraine, in Kiev, we have been in quarantine lockdown since March 13th, 12th. And we're actually in lockdown until April 24th. It's been pushed back. The end date's been pushed back twice. Um, and when it gets closer to April 24th, they'll reevaluate again. So... Um, only essential employees, essential businesses. Um, The difference here from what I'm seeing and hearing from the states is that we are required to wear masks when we're out in public. We can't go into any stores unless you have a mask. I tried to go to the store to buy diapers last week and we couldn't get into the store. So we saw a friend's car in the parking lot of the store where I would get diapers and called and waited for him to finish. The other friend I was with wore the mask in got what she needed and then i was the third person to wear this mask because they won't let you in the store and we needed diapers you could have put one in pull-ups over your head and went in well they won't they wouldn't let us and because they heard me and my friends speaking english they were being a bit harder on Uh us than they were the ukrainians so um so that's the current state, which I'm grateful for because Ukraine's infrastructure cannot handle a medical pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're seeing this in many countries. I feel that medical systems are being overwhelmed. But the statistic, I read an article from The Atlantic that said the statistic is per 100,000 people, you should have 50 ventilators. Ukraine is an entire nation of 48 million people has 65 ventilators. Wow. So if people start getting it the way that the rest of the world has, our numbers will be really high for how many lives are lost. So we are, we're both healthy, our children are healthy, but we also know that we could be asymptomatic. So we want to love our people well and we stay home. Um, How that's looked for teaching is we moved all of our classes to an online platform and like our ministry at the YWAM base, they've actually, which has been wonderful, they've been doing Facebook Live for intercession, for worship, so we can still participate for home because they all live in community. So as a community, they were quarantined. Mm. Um, so yeah, it just looks, it looks different, but it looks the same. Yeah, the day-to-day for us doesn't seem drastically different just because we're usually either home or on the base. Because we don't live on the YWAM base. We live uh, about a kilometer away in a dacha. We live in a, like a little community of small old Soviet homes. 
So as Cassie said, probably the biggest differences are our classes have moved to online and then going to the grocery store. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had to wait in line because they were only letting a certain amount of people in the store at once. Mm-hmm. They've not went to them measures here yet. I think they should because you look at pictures of Walmart and places that the parking lot's packed full and there's just no way they're, it's just, it's not a good scenario. They're not making people wear masks like they are over there. I wish they would. I mean, it's kind of voluntary really for the public, but I think that, um, do you notice like over here with us not being able to go to church and stuff, I noticed that there's a, people are responding in a positive way as far as spiritually uh, mm. getting closer. Uh, they're getting um, family-wise, they're getting closer, but it just seems like there's a intimacy that's taking place. They're getting more, I don't know if you want to call it spiritual. I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but does it seem like it's happening over there the same way? Like people are, their focus is more sharp spiritually now than it was before this all happened? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know in a spiritual sense if we could attest to that because we're not around anyone. And so I'm not sure. Now, as far as family community, Ukraine is already that way. Ukraine is very warm climate, even though it's Eastern European, which has blessed us tremendously. It's one of the things we love about being here is that people are about people. Um, And so I think that that only will continue to grow, but that doesn't seem different than normal Ukrainian culture for me. So maybe just people aren't at home or people are at home instead of at work. Maybe we're able to see more people um, like from our windows and things like that. But wait um, until you're married for 28 years and you can't, you pray for social distancing, pray for it. I love it. Uh, I'm just going to move into the family room, move all my stuff in there, everything I own, and wall that off with drywall and put a door and lock on it. <laughs> you know, as believers, we got to ask ourselves the question of what what is our role to play in a situation like this? Like, what should we be doing? And I don't necessarily think there's an easy answer to that. It might be different for each person, but I mean, you look throughout history and whenever something like this is going on, it does seem like, as you were talking about, people's spirituality goes up. They're more open to hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus, but you also see Christians stepping out and caring for those who are sick when other people won't. Mm -hmm. So even just looking at the pattern of history, yeah, it's. I think it's an important question for us to ask ourselves. I think once Do all we, this subsides and uh, people are able to go out, I think you're going to see an influx of people going to church. People are going to want to know know Christ and get closer to Him. And I think you're going to see a lot of people, especially in these smaller communities, they're going to want to get closer to God and learn more about Him. Yeah, it's like... That proverb where it says, better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. It's like, what? That makes no sense. But it does when you're in a situation like this and that it, when something like this is going on, you're thinking about your life and if there's a possibility of death, what's going to happen after death. And it, it just makes you think more about your life rather than, 
when things are going well, you can just be distracted by everything else in life. Yeah. Well, as humans, we instinctively, we go to the worst case scenario and think if I contract this virus, I'm a goner. And, yes. Mm-hmm. And so you instantly think of your mortality and you're like, what can I do? Oh, here's a Bible. I haven't read this Bible since I was a child. It still has pictures in it. I think I'll read it. That's just mm-hmm. what majority of people do. They tend to migrate towards spirituality and is there a God and what can I yep. do? What can I do to get closer to him? I think too, that people that already have that experience will be more appreciative of what they had that they could actually go to a church service. And it's, I think sometimes we get so used to doing the same thing every Sunday that we just kind you kind of wax over sometimes and it becomes a regular routine. And mm-hmm. I don't think we'll look at it as a routine anymore after this is over. We'll be a lot more appreciative, at least over here, we'll be a lot more appreciative of what we had and what I don't think we'll let it get that way again. Mm-hmm. So what could you, what kind of words of encouragement would you uh, like to say to there's somebody out there that is an aspiring missionary that maybe is new in mission work, wants to be a missionary, what are some words you could say to them that would encourage them to seek that out? I think there are two things that can hold people back from getting into missions. One of them being the support aspect Mm -hmm. where to be a missionary, typically you need to raise your own support and that can be really daunting, especially in Cassie's case where she didn't have a lot of friends who were believers so who might not have understood why she was doing what she was doing or seen its importance. But hopefully through some of the stories we've told, that shouldn't be something that holds us back because that's just an opportunity to see God provide. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing we've seen again and again, God is faithful. Mm-hmm. And if that's what he's calling you to, then he's going to make it happen. And there is no better place to be than if you are a hundred percent reliant on him. If you're forced to be praying week to week God, I don't know how I'm going to pay for my rent. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pay for food and getting to see him provide. The second thing I think that can hold people back is not really knowing what they can offer or thinking, well, you know, what do I have to give? But you'd be surprised. A lot of things, a lot of life experiences, things that have happened in the past, you'll be amazed at how God uses that uh, in the future in your ministry. And again, it's, it's trusting him. It's not saying, what what can I give? It's what can God do through me? And the answer is he can do a lot through you. Mm-hmm. Because he is the living God, the creator. I need to ask, ask daily to ask him to see people through his eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's a tough one. Yeah. That's tough to do. And he's used yeah, all you guys' are- experiences, too, with your uh, working with addiction counseling before you went to YWAM yeah. and... Cassie working with a school set up in Madisonville and just all the background. He's wove that all together into this neat ministry that you guys have. And he's using all them little different things to reach people. Oh yeah. And Cassie and I have always said, we make a good team because we're so different. So different. Yeah. Yes. But she is really great at talking to people who don't have much experience with who Jesus is, you know, in evangelism, 
my gifts are much more in the area of training those who are believers, but maybe baby believers. And I think that has to do with just in our past, how the conditions we were raised in, why we have our strengths in the areas that we do. I know what Cassie will answer to this question probably, but can you give us just a couple of names, a couple of people that have really been big influencers in your life as far as knowing Jesus, coming to know Jesus, and just how to be a good follower of Christ and his teachings? I think for me, obviously, the first person is Grandma Tass. Oh, yeah. I remember distinctly in college being out at a bar drinking too much and like hearing grandma pray like I could hear her praying for me and I'm like what is this like this is weird but I know that there's no way that I would have come to the Lord there's no way I would have been able to receive the healing that God had for me for my life before him had it not been for grandma praying like do not take your praying grandmother for granted because there is power in that and then Honestly, the next, like, it's a group of people was the three girls I lived with in Montana after my DTS, because I was a believer. I was, I was in missions. I was leading teams, but I still was operating from this. I'm less than I'm undeserving mentality. Like I'm unwanted. I'm unloved. I deserve. I shouldn't get to be doing what I love. And it really was those three girls saying, Hey, Stop being alone in your room because it's weird. Like you need to come out here and be with people. And they fought for that truth in my life. And they fought for me to believe that truth. And look, my whole world changed because of those girls. I, I grew in confidence. I grew in walking in my anointing. I grew in walking in my gifting to where I like, I look back and it's almost embarrassing that I allowed myself to operate in less than what God had for me. And so off the top of my head, those are, the two like most profound relationships or group of relationships of this is how I got where I am. Oh, uh, a lot along the way. I, I grew up um, with my dad leading mission trips every uh, other summer across Europe. And he would have, you know, 85 students each trip. And throughout those trips, there just been little investments into my life uh, that really impacted me. But overall impact would definitely be my parents. You know, I remember my dad saying to me at a young age, listen, Garrett, I, I don't care what you do. Uh, I don't care if you get a tattoo, you color your hair, as long as you love Jesus. He said, that's the most important thing in your life is do you love Jesus? And that really stuck with me as a kid. And I mean, that's a huge value now because of that. Mm -hmm. And just my mom, because of her continual example of just a servant and her sacrifice and her love, yeah, both of them just really impacted me in a positive way. And now saying this, I should probably write them a letter, realizing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'll hear this. We'll make sure they hear it. So how can someone get in touch with, say they are interested in going through YWAM, how can they get in touch with YWAM if that's the avenue that they wish to take? Well, like we said earlier, there are many bases, but because it's decentralized, there are some that we would recommend more than others. So if someone is interested in taking that route, like messages on Facebook, send us an email. We'd love to talk to you and hear what is your heart for ministry? What is your heart for missions? Because there are also different bases that focus on different things. And so we would love to help you see where would be the best fit for you. And we would love to have you come to Ukraine. So come to Ukraine. <laughs> 
Now, how, how can people get in contact with you? And I would encourage anybody listening to this episode to reach out to you two and either sponsor you financially, just writing letters, whatever. But I would strongly suggest that people get involved with, with missions in some form or fashion. But how can they get in contact with you if they want to receive your newsletters or if they want to support you? Uh, do you have an email address or how would they contact you? Yes, you can email us at specsmissions at gmail.com. S-P-E-C-K-S-M-I-S-S-I-O-N-S at gmail.com. Or you can message us on Facebook. We both have Facebook, Cassie or Garrett Speck. We check it often. Um, when we moved overseas, we went to uh, digital newsletters. So we can add you to our email list. We can send you backdated newsletters if you want to see what our progression of time is like here. We do a type newsletter and then every third month we do an update video, which has been really fun because then people can still see how the kids are growing, what life looks like here, instead of just hearing us describe So it. that's specsmissions at gmail.com. Yes. Or if our listeners would rather go through me or Logan, they can contact us at feedback at theorangemailbox.com and we will make sure to get that information to you guys. Great. Yeah, we love talking to people about what Jesus is doing in their life. We love praying for people and encouraging people. So even if you just are like, man, I'm in a hard spot or man, I'm really down with what's going on in the world, like reach out. We would love to spend time praying for you, whether it's through an email or messaging. We would really love that privilege. Mm -hmm. We thank you for the privilege to interview you today. I know that it's late there. You're seven hours ahead of us, correct? Correct. So it's late for you guys. What a privilege, though, to talk to the Horn Brothers. <laughs> this has been fun. Yeah, it I've enjoyed wrong. it. You can hang out with your dad and your uncle. What's better than that? I know. I love it. Oh, yeah. So when you guys come back to the States, then uh, we will most definitely have Garrett in studio as a guest host. Oh, and, oh okay. Uh, That's good. And welcome back to the Orange Mailbox. And <laughs> no. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. Yeah, you work on your radio voice. and Yeah, you need to work on that radio voice. You sound more like Cassie. You don't... Do you want me to do like an accent? Well, we, can do, we can do a podcast in Russian. There we go. All oh. Russian. Nyet, nyet. Oh. <laughs> well, we've had fun, so appreciate you being on here. Love you guys. and uh, Thanks for having us. Look forward to getting your information out there and letting everybody hear your story. We're very thankful for you too and what you guys are doing, not just in the Ukraine, but the impact you have in Fairmount, in Grant County, yes, and all over the world. So. Making a difference. Thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Love you guys. Take care. Paca. Be safe. Yes, paka. Paka, paka. Until next time. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Just search for The Orange Mailbox and hit that subscribe button. Or go to our website at www.theorangemailbox.podbean.com and check out all of our episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any comments or show ideas, drop us an email at feedback at theorangemailbox.com. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, always go to the mailbox expecting.